The Start On Demand. On demand. You demanded it, so I did it. I wore the hoodie footy. I'll explain what that is in a moment. As we head into Mother's Day weekend, we learn that being a mom is the equivalent of two and a half full-time jobs. An animal rescue in Stonewall told a woman she was going to have to pay 150 bucks to get her lost dog back, and she is not happy about it. Over 400 people got nabbed in April for texting and driving. And while Mackling is in Slovenia, we want to tell you about a different kind of adventure you can take with two Manitobans who now live and run a lodge and safari in Tanzania, Africa. I'm Brett McGarry with Loren McNabb and the globe-trotting Greg Mackling. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, May 10th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling has made his way to Slovenia. He's going to join us at 8.37, but I guarantee you, McNabb, whatever he's doing right now, he is not as comfortable as I am. I think no one is as comfortable as you are right now, even if they're still sleeping or just waking up. That's right. I I was reluctant yesterday, but I have embraced the fact that I own a hoodie footy. I'm a proud owner of a hoodie footy. Explain what that is for people, just in case. It's kind of like a onesie. It's basically a one-piece sweatpant hoodie outfit. Uh, it has even has zip-off feet mm-hmm. with these little rubber nubs on the bottom. Yeah, like you give them to babies when yep. they start learning to walk so they don't slip. Yeah, so I have that. And You're uh, like a case, giant baby. I am a giant baby. <laughs> it even has like uh, the holes in the th- for thumb holes on the, the wrist sleeve, so... In case yep. you want to go for a run in that, isn't that more for like athletics? The reason why they put the thumb holes in? Is that what it is? Or to like hold your sleeve? Or is it to, you know, when you put your coat on? I've never known why there are the holes in those things. I always thought it was more of a functional, put your thumb through the wrist part. And then you can, when you put your coat on, your sleeve doesn't get caught in the coat. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because I, I remember actually once uh, I, I discovered the thumb hole by fluke. Mm-hmm. I was wearing a hoodie. This was when I was a teenager. I was wearing a... I had, well, I still have it. It's a Florida State Seminoles hoodie, and I reached into the oven to grab something, and I burnt it, but I burnt it at exactly the right spot where my thumb could fit through, so I burnt a hole through it, and it was the most comfortable thing that I owned, so I actually cut a hole in the Should other. Should have patented that yeah. back then. That could have been a thing. Yeah, and then it started popping up on clothes, and I thought, wow, I was actually onto something there. Well, so. I was worried this hoodie footy would be distracting, <clears throat> but from the waist up, which is all I can see right now, it looks like you're just wearing a really comfortable kangaroo, which is what I call it, or hoodie. Yeah. But, but uh, when kangaroo? you- A kangaroo? Yeah, kangaroo with the pouch. Really? Yeah. That's what you call all hooded sweaters? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But uh, when you stand up, I can't handle it. Really? So you should go to... Don't. No, it's so awful. <laughs> Porche, help me out here. I like it. Yeah, you would. I, you uh, would. Actually, I feel bad. I was going to bring my uh, onesie. Oh, and that would have totally been cute. Forgot. Oh. Like, you have one too? Yeah, well, yeah. It's uh, Jack Skellington onesie. Have you ever seen uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You nice. went all out. I got it for Christmas uh, a few years ago. Well, they should go to your Twitter page or Instagram, Brett, because you did a little strutting for me this morning, which yes. had me in fits of giggles. So, 
Yeah, I put it on the 680 CJOB Instagram story, 680 CJOB Instagram feed. It's on 680 CJOB's Twitter, on Facebook. I put it on my Instagram, my Twitter. So if you want to see it, because listeners were demanding it, Loren. The listeners were. You were. We had one listener say, if you don't wear that tomorrow and provide yes. photographic evidence, I will stop, stop listening, listening forever. I think that's when you, you were like, uh-oh. Yeah, I guess I should put this on. So like, here we are. When the child, when the gauntlet is laid down like that, you got to accept the you, challenge. You do. So yeah, and as we head into uh, this weekend, uh, you know, curbside giveaway weekend. Maybe if you find a, a onesie, a hoodie, footy on the curb, you take it home, wash it. Is that something you would take giveaway? Do you get to clothes get given away on curbside weekend? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, a buddy of mine found a bed frame once and uh, he took it home and he like sanded it up mm-hmm. and stained it oh and no it brand you, new. you can get lots of gems and like uh, anyone's old furniture these days you know we have who are the girls that we always have on um who do the chalk painting and things the painters like cafe? The, the painters cafe they would show you how to turn around any of that kind of stuff that's right the painters cafe yeah like you can take a lot of good furniture last year during giveaway weekend i almost lost our hockey net because it was right on the curb like the kids will play road hockey and then we move it back onto the edge of the lawn mm-hmm. and i was sitting at my dad or table dining table last year and looked out my window and my neighbors were dashing across as this van pulled up and these people were trying to put the net in the van and the neighbors grabbed the net and they're like you know there's this whole exchange going on and i'm like is that my net about to be stolen no they weren't stealing it i think they just thought it was for free yeah and that's the thing you got to put a sign on it that says free and if you are a consumer and you're out hunting don't take stuff unless it's marked free or very clearly on the curb like if someone puts something on the curb or even on the street, uh, which you probably shouldn't put it on the street, but no. at the end of a driveway, sure. I think it's probably, you got to imagine it's safe that it's safe to say that that's a giveaway item, but still it's safer to look for the, the items that are marked free. So that's happening tomorrow and on Sunday. And of course, this weekend also marks Mother's Day. So an early happy Mother's Day salute to you, Thank Loren. Thank you. I, uh, my husband's working this weekend, so it won't involve, I mean, I guess it could involve some breakfast in bed. But for, with a six and eight year old, I feel like that would end up being, I don't even know what, an uncooked egg and like an, a sort of toasted piece of, piece of toast. Would it, so like would a kid just put like the whole egg, just kind of like mash, just it, mash in the pan? it on the plate? They do know how to hard boil an egg because they like them, but I'm not a oh, fan. Wow. But I mean, you know what? Like it's the thought that counts. I don't know. There's so many people like who, who, who want to make a big deal out of Mother's Day. I know for most moms that I know, they just start looking for either time with their family or, to be honest, time without their family. Like, in the sense of, you know what, if you're going to give this day to me, maybe I could have a break, right? Yeah. Go somewhere and relax, or you take the kids somewhere and I relax, or what, 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 or I'll go spend it with my mom. But my one of my best Mother's Day was with my own mother, and we rented a hotel room and just hung out and had some wine and chatted, and it was a t- super relaxing 24 hours. Yeah, I've always kind of uh, chuckled at the fact that the Manitoba Marathon tends to fall on Father's Day mm-hmm. because a lot of kids go on the Manitoba Marathon, and I wonder, I'm sure a lot of these dads like are stoked to be there with their kids, but I, mean, I bet you some of them are like, Ugh. Really could use a lion. I'd like to, I'd rather be golfing right now. Yeah. It's yeah. Father's Day. It's yeah. my day. Spend some time, right? And, and you know what, Brett, and we'll talk about this later, but it's also a day where people have lost their moms or, or their daughters or what have you, and that's a hard day too. So we'll, uh, I think we'll have a conversation about that later. And as far as texting and driving goes, the headline at cjob.com, more than 400 Winnipeggers dinged for texting and driving in April, say police. And that means, so they got 400 
They caught 400. Mm -hmm. That means how many more did not get caught? And remembering that this is now in an era where you lose your license if Mm -hmm. you're caught texting and driving. So the penalties went up in November. And the question we have out there for Winnipeg police and others is, is how does this, how do those April numbers compare to say last April? Are they higher or lower? It's always hard to do those comparisons because when they do blitzes, they might not have the same number of officers on the street or it's a different time of day. But the fact that 400 people in one month you know, that's like 15 people a day. They're easily like fish in a barrel, yeah. finding them, texting and driving, and that the loss of license isn't deterring people it raises questions. Yeah, like $672 fine, mm-hmm. three-day license suspension, five demerits. Like that is a monstrous penalty uh, that would hurt in so many different ways because you lose access to your vehicle for three days. Five demerits will bump up the costs of your license and I guess your insurance. And then on top of that, you get this huge fine. Like, like that is a just a massive deterrent for me. Anytime I, I still get tempted because I don't always put my, have my phone in my pocket. I sometimes will just toss it on the, the seat beside me. And if I hear it go off, I can't help but but look, it's right. just like, you know, you're, there. you're trained because like it's already buzzed at me twice since we've been, since we cracked the mics. They call it like a Pavlovian response. Like you're just reaching for the phone because yeah. you're now wired to do so. Uh, another thing I'd love to hear from anyone who actually got one of these tickets or suspensions. Like, how did you deal with it? Did you have to go to your boss and say, like, if you have a job that requires you driving, mm-hmm. what did you do? For me, I live outside the city. So then what? Yeah. I can tell you the husband's not going to be like, oh, you want me to drive you to work at four in the morning? <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's Mother's Day on Sunday, and we salute all of the hardworking moms out there. And we've learned that it is really hard work. Yeah, a survey was done by uh, Welch's, and the, the the fruit juice company. Like the jam like company? Like the jam, the fruit, the fruit king. Yeah. Oh, my and God. I, there's also an accounting company with the same name, so I double-checked this because I didn't want to get that wrong. But they did a survey of 2,000 moms, and they found that being a working mom based on the hours is the equivalent of having two and a half full-time jobs. Good Lord. So the average day, according to the women's survey, it would start, say, around 6.23 a.m. and wouldn't end until... Until 8.30. Again, just an average day. So that would be a 14-hour work day every day of the week, of course, because parenting doesn't end on Friday. And so that averaged about 98 hours per week, which puts you at two and change for jobs. So kinds of things that they'd be doing on top of their full or part-time job would be obviously a chef, a chauffeur, coaching, teaching, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff in terms of shopping. And so it raised a question amongst me in terms of if people even think that that is accurate, like the 830 bedtime and the 630 start time was not my day, Yeah, but my day would start at 330 and end at 830, right? Which is even longer. And then it's not the same on the weekends, but I, I think that a lot of moms, working moms are putting in an incredible amount of hours on top of you know, their day jobs. Are we counting the the day job hours? Like if they if the day starts at six twenty three and ends at eight thirty, are we counting the eight hours or whatever it is at work? At work, yeah. And that would de- that would be depending too. Like it was full and part time moms that were interviewed, and so say your job goes eight to four, then your kids might be up at six thirty, and you're putting them to bed at eight thirty. But then I was thinking of all the moms who have teenagers, and they go out and they might go to a soccer practice, but then come home and then forget. You know, like I'm going to guess you pulled this. I know I did. Suddenly at ten p.m. 
oh my gosh, I have like a giant report due tomorrow. Mom, please help. Uh, uh, <laughs> my mom would usually just laugh at me and say you're on your you're own. You're on your own, really? Yeah. Yeah. Although, also, to be fair, my mom would usually be in bed by the time I started you would figure the report. It out. Yes. I remember many nights being up until midnight or one, like in having, back then you had the printers. Yeah. They were like, eh. You know, like that DOS, the, the dot printer, dot the dot print, matrix. Dot matrix. Sorry, yeah. and you'd be printing something out at one, and down the hall, mom, mom would be like, "What is happening out there?" And you're like, "Nothing, just just a ten page essay I forgot about until just now, right?" Yeah. So oh, that, that that I I had this printer that it would take like forty five minutes to print three or four pages, and it was noisy. So yeah, I'd be up at one, two, three in the morning trying to print stuff sometimes on that silly printer, and it would get jammed. And yeah, I would wake up my parents. My mom especially would be frustrated with me. But yeah, it's so much work. And when I look at my friends, and most of my friends my age have kids now, and I just think, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you keep your head screwed on straight and don't go completely insane. You know, and I want to actually just say in in my circumstance, I don't want to speak for everyone, but my husband does a ton of work too. And so I'm trying to imagine the scenario, you know, 50 years ago when women were starting to enter the workforce more and working and doing all those things at home that say the man wasn't picking up on, like the, the challenge that would have come there, because I'm lucky. I think we do a pretty good job doing equal parts work at home, but that's not the case for everybody, right? And then actually, out of the survey, they can, they figured out what would that be, those hours? Like, so a mom, a working mom should be making $100,460 per year. Sorry, how much? $100,460 per year. Wow. If you're working on those hours and what you could bring in for them. You know, if, if you were, say, a meal planner full-time or a, a chef or, you know, those kinds of things, and you're putting those kinds of hours in, that's where your salary should lie at. I can barely plan meals for myself. Never mind. Like I, I'll, I can't tell you every day I always get up and think I should eat something before I go to work. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of dawdle and then I look at the clock and go, well, I guess uh, that window is closed. Well, there isn't a mom or dad out there who hasn't thrown something on the table and been like, this is totally not a meal, but eat it like crackers and tomatoes. I've done before where you get home and I cut up some cheese, throw some tomatoes on a plate and you're like, I got some bread in the cracker and a fruit in the tomato <laughs> and cheese is a milk. You know what? I'm hitting this one out of the park. <laughs> You're getting all, getting all the food. Although, does that measure up to the new Canada Food Guide? Well, there's no meat. Isn't that more plant-based? That's right. Although yes. I have no vegetables. So no, no, I'm failing. <laughs> so now I'm, thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Now I'm a mom that's a failure. So what matters most to moms then on this Mother's Day? Because I understand uh, uh, results from a different survey as well from Marco Polo uh, had something to do with that. Yeah, and this came to us from Hal Anderson. Hal Anderson's on from one to four every afternoon. And Hal shared this with us, and I thought it was kind of neat about... Um, what moms want. And this survey found that 24% of moms feel that receiving a gift makes them feel closer to their children, while over 70% said staying in touch would be the most important. And so I think I think that's probably true. Yeah, the, the call your mom. Call your mom, yeah. 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 And if you can, if you have the opportunity, you can spend some time together. And the, the hard part about that is I found... Um, you know, like you have, I have my mom I like to spend time with and you have your husband's mom and you've got your kids and then it ends up, what ends up happening, I think, for so many parents and same with Father's Day, but a Mother's Day too, is that you end up having this big family gathering mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, you're cooking this giant meal for like 14 people and, and you're stopping like, what part of this is nice for me? Like, I like being with everybody, but 
I'm all sweaty over the stove, and I found myself in that circumstance a few times. Yeah, well, and that's another tricky thing about uh, about having a family too, right? You just mentioned it, especially once you have your own kids, because then you have to do stuff with your family, and then you got to go mm-hmm. see your parents, and then you got to go see his or her parents, and it's like. It's the, it, just thinking about that is yeah. exhausting. Trying With, to fit uh, all that in a one day. I'm easy. I, I, I on Sunday, all I want is to lay in the hammock in the backyard with a book. If someone feels like bringing me something in a glass. With a beverage in it. Like a glass with a stem? A glass with a... It could have a stem, Brett. It could have a stem. There could be a bottle with it. I don't know. I'm just, just, I'm about, just talking. I'm just spitballing here. How about here. just a bottle? You know, that's fine, too. And also, if the, the, the as far as the glass with the stem goes, I used to like... I think they called them like teardrop glasses where it doesn't have the stem. Yes. But... Uh, Christopher Sprague, our sommelier friend from 529, actually, he says those aren't bad, but they the, the stem helps to keep the wine cool. Right. Like if you... Uh, if they're you not a, as fun. Don't you feel like you're just having to Coke when you're in that, that kind of glass? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like them. They're comfy to hold. But if you're if you're really into what yeah. goes into making that kind a, of a if glass... If I'm making a moment out of it, I want the stem. Yeah. Even I'm, if water's in it. I remember being pregnant and you can't drink and putting water into a wine glass just for being like... <laughs> It's not wine, but it, I got the glass, so I'm like halfway there. Oh, so you you, you helped the muscle memory yeah. just maintain it's, its memory. It's completely psychological. <laughs> well, let us know how hard your mom works or how hard you work. You can text us, 204-780-6868. And, of course, we should also salute single moms out there. Ow. Every time I have an issue with my kids, I, I will stop and think, if a single mom can do this, I'm just, I cannot complain. And I have a couple friends who are single moms and they'll get messages from me being like, you're a great mom. And they're like, oh, are you in the grocery store with the kids again? I'll be like, yep. How do you do this? (laughs) I don't, I have no idea. I'm actually just on the subject of kids. I'll just mention this quickly. I got my email reminder yesterday from Dr. Belenkoff's office that my vasectomy is coming up on the 22nd. I wasn't sure if that was the, because you do it all online. I wasn't sure if. I was just going in for a consult, but it had the full instructions. This is how you need to prepare yourself. You should be able to drive your home yourself like what? home. Sorry, can we actually get into that? Like, how do you prepare? Well, uh, there uh, there needs to be some some grooming done. Oh, okay. The surface needs to be bare. Oh my god, I thought hoodie footy was making me grossed out. Yeah. So the so there needs to be some preparations, but apparently I can still I can be prepared to drive myself home. Just don't do anything else Got the rest it. of the day. Okay. So that's coming up on the 22nd. So I can I think you should uh we should find a way to record it. Yeah. I don't know not, if we maybe need not to video it. it. Not if it's like the gifts I was sending you yesterday. <laughs> this that was too much. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> the story that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people who've maybe adopted dogs or work for dis- different rescue groups and have questions of their own about how they might be run. So we're talking about a Stonewall Manitoba pet owner who is grateful this morning to have our dog back home, but still shocked to find out where he went. So he disappeared on Tuesday of this week, and this owner was alerted by the rescue shelter that she first adopted him from. But along with that alert came a demand for money. As Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, that's when the RCMP had to step in. He's a happy, healthy, and loved adopted dog. But on Tuesday, Trigger helped spark a full panic attack for his family. I put him out in the backyard just after 11.30, and uh, he was playing around. Ten minutes later, I went outside to get him. I noticed he wasn't in the yard anymore. They didn't know if he escaped from the yard of their Stonewall home or was stolen. We had faith that driving around, we'd find him in town. 
and for five hours we saw no sign of him. Then Melissa Morton received a cryptic text message. It was from the Homeless and Injured Animal Rescue of Canada, the rescue group Trigger was adopted from. Another text read, to get your dog back, it will cost you $150. We couldn't believe what was happening. That's when Morton went to police. The officers focused uh, their investigation on that side of it, tracked down where the text messages were coming, got everybody involved, and we were able to return the dog or have the dog returned to its owner. Global News reached out to the rescue group who refused an on-camera interview, saying instead the fee was imposed for us to go get the dog and bring it to his home, investigate why he ran away, educate the owner on how to prevent this from happening again, and make sure they're caring for their dog. Morden says that explanation was never passed along to her. She's just happy Trigger is home without paying the $150 fee. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So as I mentioned, Brett, the RCMP did help in this case in order to reunite the owner with the dog. But Sergeant Palmenegg says despite their involvement, at this point, no charges have been laid. It involved uh, a couple officers from the Stonewall Detachment to kind of intervene to make sure uh, that the situation rectified itself uh, the way it needed to be. Extortion under the Criminal Code of Canada is basically defining, uh, is defined by you wanting money for a certain action. Uh, so yes, this we believe this could meet the criteria of extortion. So it could meet the criteria of extortion, but the dog was returned. The owners didn't pay the fee. And so I guess in the end, uh, it's a happy story, but a confusing story that this would be the case in terms of reaching out to a shelter, Brett, uh, and then having them say, we're going to charge you for this fee. Again, the group at the heart of this story, which is the homeless an injured animal rescue of Canada didn't respond uh, to requests for interviews. They refused requests for interviews. But on their website, they're they're a reputable organization in the sense that their website looks good. They have a charity number, um, and they work with a lot of dogs. And so I don't know how I'd feel if this was my my animal when someone was demanding money to get that animal back. Yeah, I mean they're they're an animal rescue, and you would think that it, once they rescued the animal, they would want to return it to the owner. Swiftly, I mean, that's isn't that the whole point of of being a, a res, an animal rescue? Is you save the animal and then make sure that it finds a home, and if if you can re- reunite it with the owners, I mean, animals get lost or they get out. You know, it doesn't take much for you. Like if you, you go into the yard and you think you've shut the gate, for example, and oops, you didn't close the gate, and the animal gets out. I mean, I I remember uh, I went out to, to when I owned a house. I went outside to take out the trash, and my cat Zoe sn- snuck out behind me. Mm-hmm. The door was open for a half a second, and she's a little cat. She ran out, and I had to chase her around the, the the neighborhood for like fifteen minutes. I had to go into a neighbor's yard and duck in behind some bushes. And just when I almost had her, she ran out into the street, and my neighbors ended up pitching in to help out. So yeah, animals like, get out. Like say say a rescue group found that cat, and then they called you up and said, "Yeah, I've got Zoe, but you're going to have to give me." 150 bucks. I don't like, how would you feel about that? I'd probably, I probably would have paid it. Of course. Yeah. But then my other thing too. So I wonder how it works. So say the Winnipeg Humane Society or an animal, you know, a city organization rescues your dog. Do you have to pay for it back once it's been taken into the pound, so to speak? And then my other question I have, and if anyone knows the answer to this, let me know. If it, if a shelter is, lots of these shelters are just charity or they're running by the good, the nature of someone's good, kind heart out of their home. They're not all in big you know, facilities, they might just be fostering animals in their in their house. Is it more of just a way of recouping some of the overall losses that some of those people might be getting or incurring or feeling because they're just kind of doing this to be a good 
person. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's what it boils down to is they just need to re- they need to recoup their costs and pay for all the stuff they do. Like I know Craig Street Cats is just one that comes to mind sure. where they're in constant need. Uh, there's the the no kill shelter on Portage Avenue where I actually adopted uh, my dog Dexter once upon a time, and uh, you know they they need donations all the time to keep their their operation going. So. But still, just the, the the way that this this went about just kind of kind of smells a little funny. So yeah, and we'll talk about this throughout the day too, Brett, because I've got some calls out and just in terms of what regulations are in place. So if you're a bricks and mortar operation, there are rules in place for how like you have to take care of those animals and the safety of those animals. But we know there's lots of rescue groups that do operate out of their home, and a lot of them are really really great, or make, I, no doubt the majority of them are doing the right thing. But I don't know if the same regulations for, say, that brick-and-mortar place is the same for the person who has the home shelter. Mm-hmm. And then, therefore, wh- who's where's the checks and balances for that? Because the goal is to take animals out of a bad situation and help them. But then who's monitoring the groups that are trying to help those animals? Because in th- this case might highlight a concerning situation, an alleged concerning situation. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling in Slovenia. Mother's Day on Sunday, and of course it's a happy day for many. And this year it's going to be a little bit different for me as uh, I lost my mother last year. She died in November, and uh, I've been thinking about what it's going to be like on Sunday because I used to go over and make, would still go over and make her breakfast, although in later years it became more of a brunch. Mm. Uh, like even like as recently as last year, you would have done that? I went I went there last year, but she was too ill mm-hmm. to eat. Uh, but the year before I did, um, and uh, we when we were kids, we would <laughs> we would get up and it was basically my dad sure. making breakfast. But you're but, there helping. That's yeah. nice that you did that as an adult. That's super sweet. Yeah, we would when we were kids, we would we would basically butter the toast. <laughs> my dad's yeah. trying to make the bacon. Carry the plate in or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we'd carry the tray in and sit in bed and uh and we would always make tons of breakfast. We actually would end up eating more of it than her. Mm-hmm. Uh our dog would be sitting on the bed and uh, my mom would feed the dog pieces of bacon and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, this year is going to be weird, and I'm not really sure, you know, if I should be going to see my family. And it's also weird because it's my girlfriend's birthday on Sunday. It's her 30th birthday, and she's excited. Well, she's excited, but not excited because, you know, turning 30, Mm -hmm. uh, she's sort of dreading it. But at the same, I've had to tell her, like, look, I don't know how I'm going to be on Sunday because it's Mother's Day, and, you know, I, I, I will be like, hey, happy birthday, but... It's mm-hmm. Mother's Day, and I don't really want to think about that. So I guess I just wanted to say to to you, who if you're listening right now and you are in my boat, where your you know your mom's gone, just want to let you know that uh, I'm with you. And yeah, it's just going to be a bizarre day. And but if you still have your mom, make sure you celebrate Mother's Day and enjoy the day. At least call your mom if you know maybe you don't live in the same city or mm-hmm. you can't just can't you know work gets in the way and you can't spend time with your mom. Make sure you do something. What would you? What do you think your mom would like you to do on Sunday? Uh, probably have breakfast in bed. I yeah, don't know. Well, do that. Do something like that. Maybe you should make your girlfriend on her birthday make you breakfast in bed. <laughs> like start a whole new tradition, but keep the theme make, from your mom. Have her make me yes. breakfast in bed? Yes. Let me know how that goes over when you suggest that later. <laughs> I love it. I, I think your mom would love that. You could have a gesture, right? Eat, eat something in bed. Yeah. Like even just get out of bed, walk to the... Walk to the fridge, grab a piece of bread, walk back. <laughs> Girlfriend's like, what's going on? This is for my mom. I love it. I think that's sweet. I will do that. Thank you for the suggestion, Lorraine McNabb. <laughs>
McNabb, I mentioned earlier, sometimes I have my phone sitting beside me and one of our listeners texted and said, hey, you can't even have your phone beside you. That could be enough to get you in trouble with the police. Well, it could be enough. I think the idea is that uh, if they think they saw you reach or touch it over in your seat, then they'd have a case. So just put it away so that if you're doing something else that's not phone related, you you actually have a, a real defense. Yeah. Because I know it is very much about, even if you just touch it once, if you're looking at a map or other, they do have grounds to charge you. And we're talking about this this morning because this is the tweet that came from Winnipeg police yesterday afternoon. It read, seems people are not getting the message. Texting and driving is not only unsafe, it's illegal. More than 400 drivers had their licenses suspended for three days and were fined $672 each for this offense in April. So we know that's the price of getting caught using your phone or touching your phone while driving in this province. It's all part of that law that went into effect last fall. And the goal is to deter drivers from even looking at their phone, I think, generally speaking. But to touch it. Don't pick it up. Len Easto is a former Winnipeg police officer who runs Traffic Ticket Experts and joins us on the phone now to discuss this further. Good morning, Len. Good morning. First of all, thank you. I think we reached you in Florida, so I appreciate you taking this time to chat with us while you're probably on vacation. So thanks again. Uh, I want to talk about that number, 400 people tickets in one month. Is that... Yeah, is that it's, a, it's a large number. There's no doubt about that. It probably was something that they were doing in the way of, uh, uh, of enforcement and specific, spe- specifically looking for cell phones, and that's probably why the number is higher. Is that more than, like, you know, in terms of the deterrent factor, when you hear that, does it sound to you like the law is working? Like, are you still getting as many phone calls today as you did a year ago when it comes to people trying to fight those distracted driving tickets? I think it's definitely less than it used to be. Although we did see uh, about 30 of those cell phone tickets in the last month before I, I left to go on holidays, which was two weeks ago. So about 30 tickets came into our office prior to that. Out of that 30, uh, five of them were just dropped completely because there was evidentiary issues with those tickets. Now, those people didn't have to pay a fine. They didn't get the points on their license, no entries on their abstracts, but they still served the five, the, that three-day suspension. When you say there was uh, evidentiary issues, what sort of what would that include? Well, that would include things like the certificates that the officers now have to present to the courts. Uh, they type up a certificate or handwrite it. And that goes as their evidence to the court. It's in that evidence that quite often there's issues. Uh, So if you do have a cell phone ticket uh, and you don't feel guilty of it, you really should examine it more closely, that's for sure. Are we talking largely scenarios where uh, it may be assumed the person was touching it? We mentioned, Brett mentioned, you know, having the phone on the side of your seat and someone saying to us, well, you're not even allowed to have it beside you, that that could be enough grounds for a ticket. I think it's probably more of a touching scenario, but, but where are you hearing from drivers that, look, all I did was the following and this is where the ticket came? Yeah, absolutely. That's what they're doing. They're leaving the, the cell phone on the seat um, uh, or in the cup holder, it seems. And the temptation always is that when that ping goes off or the phone rings, you're looking directly at it at that point. Now you're breaking the law, just looking at it. If it's not secured properly in a bracket uh, or you're on Bluetooth and the phone is out of sight, um, Bluetooth is totally legal, uh, but you can't look at the phone if it's not secured properly and you can't touch it. So let's say your phone is sitting on your seat. It's face down. You're not looking at it. Uh, officer pulls you over for whatever reason and they, you know, you happen to look down at something in your car and they accuse you of 
looking at your phone or doing something with your phone and you say, no, I didn't. That's, that, I, that isn't what I was doing. And you're, you know, that's actually, in fact, what happened. You weren't doing, touching your phone, but they, they write you up anyway. Uh, can you fight yeah. that? Oh, you certainly can. Now, whether you'll be successful or not is the big question because you're going always up against what the officer's evidence is. And the courts will then have to determine who they're going to believe, uh, the officer or uh, what your version of, of what occurred uh, is, is is before the court. You talked about the idea that you can fight the dollar amount. Again, that fine is $672. But the, at the end of the day, you're, you're receiving that license suspension. Is there any court challenge underway that you know of, of Len, where people are saying, like, we don't think this is uh, uh, this may, might go against our rights, and therefore that immediate license suspension is worth another look at? I, I don't know of any myself, but I sure hope one is or one is coming soon, because I really think that it goes against every principle that, that we have in our common law system that you're uh, getting a penalty before you can even have a day. It's, it's within 48 hours that suspension begins. You can't even deal with a ticket within 48 hours to find out whether there's an issue with it or not. So you're getting that suspension, and that is so against what, what we should be looking at as the law in, in this country, for sure. When the new texting and driving deterrence came into effect uh, November 1st, there were more than 200 people caught in Manitoba in that first month, and now we jump to April, and there's over 400 drivers getting caught. So is this just a situation where people are vigilant at first, and then they kind of loosen up and forget as they move along? I think definitely it's, it's reduced from what it was before. I just think this probably this past month was some specific action. They were taking enforcement, uh, looking directly at cell phones, and that's why the number's a bit higher. I wouldn't read too much into that other than probably something like that. For sure. we people are getting the message. We've got calls out to Winnipeg Police just to verify because they do often do these blitzes, so to speak, or there's Distracted Driving Awareness Month or those kinds of things. And so we'll get some clarification on that, Len. But I know your job is to fight tickets, but if I'm hearing this right, the silver lining overall is that if it is supposed to stop people from using their phone, from what your data is showing you, it appears to be working. There, there is a deterrent that, that, yes, does appear to be working. Uh, and people are putting, they're, they're being more careful with them. And, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, but I think there's just, they've got to find a better way than this to do it. Uh, that suspension ahead of time just should never be happening. Len Easto, traffic ticket experts. He's also a former Winnipeg police officer joining us live on 680 CJOB from Florida. Len, thank you very much for taking some time while you're in much warmer climate than we are. <laughs> My pleasure. I'll bring the hot weather home with me on Saturday. Oh, good. Right on. Thank you very much, Len. We look forward to that. What city is Greg Mackling in? He joins us now live from, where are you, Slovenia now, Greg? We are in the country of Slovenia on the shores of Bled Lake. Imagine combining Banff with Clear Lake. Oh, and with about 500 more years of history, and you'll have just a little bit of a taste of where we are today, you guys. It's absolutely magical. There is a church in the middle of the lake on an island. It's the Pilgrimage Church of the Assumption of Maria. And you take this uh, almost like a Venice gondola, but a little bit uh, wider and shorter. And a gentleman rows you across, and then you take 91 steps up to the church. And you can ring the bell. It's it's right out of a fairy tale here. Absolutely incredible. Someone rowed you across the lake. You didn't even have to do your own rowing. 
No rowing required, McNabb. It was uh, right up my alley. Yeah, Greg, I remember going to Folklorama and I went to the Slovenia Pavilion and I knew admittedly nothing about Slovenia, but uh, the food was wonderful, the beer was wonderful, they had books. Uh, like the, the marketing was sensational. Just the imagery looked gorgeous. The golfing in Slovenia looks tremendous. Uh, how long have you been there, by the way? We've just been here a few hours. We left Opatia this morning, which was on the Adriatic coast in Croatia. We left there about five hours ago, crossed the border. We've made a couple of stops. And it's interesting you mentioned golf, Brett, because I took a picture of the largest golf ball I've ever seen. It's right in one of the roundabouts here in Bled Lake. I guess they have a world-class golf course here. So I took a picture of that just for you, my friend. Right on, right on. You got to try to get out there. Oh, well, you you know what, you guys? I'll bring you here. I'll be your personal tour guide. This is beyond anything that I have ever, ever imagined. And you know how we talk about Winnipeg and the two degrees of separation? Yeah. It It happens even here. I was in the lobby of a hotel where we were staying. The second built ever in Apatia was built by an Austrian train company because it's one of these places by the sea that is created just for tourism back in 1877. And a gentleman was talking to a couple of the ladies in my group and they found out they were from Winnipeg. Sure enough, he knew somebody that I knew. And, uh, and then yesterday... We were in a place called Stefanici, which is in the middle of nowhere, up on a mountain. And we get greeted by this cute little dog. And we go and we have this amazing meal, traditional Croatian meal with salad and cheese and soup. We had pasta with cheese sauce with shaved truffles on top. The lady comes out of the kitchen. Her name is Carmen. Her and her husband, we give them a round of applause. And somebody knows this is my Winnipeg Blue Bombers hat. Guess who lived in Winnipeg for five years? The lady who prepared our meal yesterday. <laughs> and she uh, still recognized the Bombers logo? Somebody else pointed it out to her. <laughs> uh, amazing. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Winnipeg is everywhere. So how long are you in Slovenia? We'll be here for a couple of days. Uh, Ljubljana was where we'll, we'll stay tonight. Tomorrow they've got a very interesting, very solemn um, commemoration tomorrow with regards to the Second World War. And I might be wrong, it might be the First World War, so forgive me. But the town was surrounded by barbed wire. They were basically blockaded. Uh, and and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in the uh, First World War. And so they have a perimeter highway, much like ours. It's 29 kilometers around. And there'll be a march. People, I think everything will pretty much stand still tomorrow and people will march all the way around the city tomorrow. So looking forward to that history and a whole bunch of other things that, that are happening before we head to Zagreb, the capital of Croatia, to uh, get ready to come home on Monday. Coming to a close pretty soon, Greg. A lot of people asking about your pictures and where they can see them. I know you're on Twitter and Facebook. Are you putting the same photos on Facebook of your journeys? I'm doing uh, as best I can on Facebook, but the best place is on Instagram. G-M-A-C-K, G-M-A-C, Winnipeg, W-P-G. G-M-A-C-K, W-P-G. And I apologize for anybody who requested to follow me. 
a few days ago. I didn't realize I had to accept followers and I had about 300 <laughs> to go through. Oh so I apologize. I'll get through that. But thank you for everybody that sent the follow request. Oh, I love this. This is perfect. Classic Greg. Just like, oh, missed a step. <laughs> oh, missed a step, dear. That's Technology. <laughs> oh, no. uh, it's a mystery. <laughs> oh, and that's right. I think our friends from 3rd and Bird, Shander Kremsky and Charlotte Smeal, they uh, they said, hey, tell Greg to accept our request uh, that we sent him a year ago. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so, I, of course, I promptly forgot to tell you, so sorry about that. I think we're connected now, Brett, so uh, it's all good, my friend. And when are you back in Winnipeg? Uh, we get back very early Tuesday morning, so... Uh, if if I get home at the right time, I'll just come straight to the station. Don't on be Tuesday crazy. Morning, Don't be I'll crazy. See, or I'll see you guys on Wednesday. You know what? We can leave. You missed out. I know you saw it on Twitter that Brett wore his uh, hoodie footy today. So we can just leave <laughs> this here for you. If you roll in late, you can just slip on the hoodie footy and just, you know, chill out in your chair. Um, there would need to be a couple of questions answered about... What Brett was wearing under the hoodie footy pajamas before that would even be a possibility. I don't know if you want to know the answer to that question. I would want to know if I could be putting it on. He was clothed because he actually took it off this morning and as it unzipped, I was like, whoa! (laughs) Where is this going? (laughs) We would be good. Hey, uh, I got to tell you, we just had this dessert. It's a cream, I don't even know, cream cake. And apparently they serve 13 million pieces of this stuff. Every year in this town, it's supposed to be world famous. And Loren, I, I thought of you every other bite. Why? Because? Because you would have loved it. Oh, okay. Just, I was like, like, is there an ingredient just, I've talked about? Did it have just, a good pun involved I, in the name? I just, I just know how you light up is, when it comes to sweets and this stuff. Is there a way for you to bring that back? Well, I had them package me up a piece, but uh, I've already flipped it. I've already sold it for twice what I paid for it. It's that coveted. And what's it called? I don't know. It's some sort of, some sort of cream cake. Hey, guys, what's that cake called? Cream cake. That's not, that's cream cake. It's not very exotic. It's just, it's just delicious, apparently. Oh, my gosh. That's, a, that's true. Remember I told you on Wednesday about the biggest waterfall or the tallest waterfall? Yes. The names of things are very literal. Yes, here, so. cream cake. It's well, a cream cake. Yeah. I just Googled Slovenia cream cake, and the first thing that comes up is Slovenia Lake Bled Cream Cake Recipe. And there's a picture here, and it looks it looks very good. So yeah, Think, think flapper pie, but without the uh, graham cracker crust, more of a... More of a flake pastry with a little icing sugar. Oh, I'm going to have to have another one, I think. Okay, well, so he's enjoying tasty uh, treats. He's seeing beautiful uh, scenery. He's on the other side of the world. Greg? He's bringing us back nothing, it sounds like. Yeah, thanks, Greg. You guys know me better than that. I do. I just wanted to make sure I got that in there. (laughs) Hey, Loren, I promise you this. Yes. Whatever I bring you will taste better than the chocolate I brought you back from Finland. That was a disaster. That was the worst chocolate. (laughs) Wasn't it licorice? It was licorice, licorice, but I I don't mind black licorice. It was not good. I want to be kind because I think Brett's, I don't don't want to judge, but Brett's gift was so much better. Oh, the (laughs) t-shirt. Let me, let me tell you, uh, I could have uh, spent about 500 bucks on McGarry. It was tough to choose with one thing. <laughs> he likes his T-shirts. He likes his hats. Thanks for this, Greg. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Guys. Enjoy. Okay. We're Enjoy very jealous. Enjoy the weekend, guys. We'll talk to you soon.
Greg Mackling joining us live from Lake Bled in Slovenia, enjoying some cream cake. His uh, tour guide descriptions, which, you know, this is cream cake, or I'm not sure what this is. It reminds me, I was in Jordan years ago with my family, and we were on a tour of Petra. You know, it's like the scene from Indiana Jones, like the same um, old runes that they run out of. Yeah. Anyway, we had this tour guide who was Jordanian, and we kept asking him all sorts of questions where he had just, like, no answers to. And at one point, I was like, well, why? how do we have all these rock formations here with all this sand? Like, what, what was going on thousands of years ago that this would happen and he just looks at us and goes nature <laughs> thanks man <laughs> so i have used that so many times when the kids have questions i don't know man nature hal anderson joins us coming up in about 10 minutes time to talk about the headline how men i've lost it here <laughs> <laughs> I'll just fall on the sword. I had it, and then it, I don't and have it, it either. I was going to help you out, but it's, I got nothing. <laughs> it's on this website called HarpersBazaar.com. You know it's a good tease. How men <laughs> get terrible Mother's Day's presents, ah, put their dishes radio. in the sink too often, I love live radio. leave the toilet seat up. <laughs> I can keep going. Yes, keep going. That's good. That's, 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 are you, did you ever do an improv class? <laughs> no. Because that all came off the top of your head just like, like my anger. My anger is always at the top. It's always <laughs> just at the surface, Brett. Men have no friends and women bear the burden. He's going to join us at 9.15. And in a moment, we're going to talk about burnout. But before we do that, just a clarification on the dog story. Yeah, I just want to clear this up because there was a couple questions from listeners about how this dog was found. We, of course, are talking about the Stonewall woman whose dog ran out of her yard. They searched for five hours, and they eventually got a um, message from a rescue group that they had the dog, but they wanted this $150 fee to return it. So I just want to be clear what happened is the dog ended up at the neighbor's house or someone on their street. The neighbor called called this rescue group uh, that knew the owner because it was actually the rescue group that she got the dog from in the first place. And so it wasn't like this rescue group just happenstance found this dog. They were alerted by someone on the street who noticed the dog had gotten out of the yard or was missing. And you can read more at cjob.com. Manitoba owner fuming after pet rescue demands money for information on lost dog. We were talking... Yesterday, about summer perks, which summer perks would you like to see in the workplace? Uh, leaving work early on Fridays, more flexible schedule, maybe more activities at work or a relaxed dress code. And all of these things, I think, can help to, as well to prevent burnout, which is what we want to talk about right now because it is having a growing impact on workplaces, but it is preventable. And this came to our attention from Canada Life as it is Mental Health Week in Canada. And Marianne Bainton is the Director of Workplace Strategies at Canada Life and a registered social worker. She joins us live now on 680 CJOB. Marianne, good morning to you. Good morning. So burnout, What for? how would you classify burnout? Well, I mean, when you look at the textbook sort of definition, it talks about emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. But it's really where your your get up and go got up and went. Mm. And you just, you, you can go to work, you can continue to contribute, but you just have lost any enthusiasm, motivation. And in many times, you've become more cynical. And as somebody who's been there, it's an awful place to be. You don't even like yourself in that moment. Nothing is giving you real joy at work. And when we did a roundtable with people who had had burnout, almost to a person, they were those people who said, I love my job. They were overachievers. They had poor boundaries. 
and then the crash and burn happened. You're not talking about, you know, the feeling we might have on a Friday where we're just like, huh, I'm glad to be getting out of here and having a few days off. You're talking about a feeling that really lingers for, for a period of time. Yes, and in the people that we talked to, it was like six weeks was the shortest, but some people talked about multiple years of feeling like this. And the thing that's really important about burnout is it's preventable. It's not inevitable. It's not genetic. It's not something that you have to learn to manage because it's part of who you are. Burnout is something that happens because we push ourselves beyond the point where we can recover after a weekend. It's where getting eight hours sleep doesn't make you feel refreshed. You go to bed exhausted. You wake up exhausted. And in your newscast, you talked about a survey where people were saying that less than 40% of people felt valued. That's a really significant factor. If you're putting your heart and soul into work and you feel like it doesn't matter, that can really uh, deplete you. So there's a message, I think, here for uh, people who employers as well as the employees, because you're talking about there the idea of validation of somebody noticing the work that you're putting in and saying, hey, good job, or at least thank you for being here earlier, for never calling in sick, those kinds of things. Exactly. So there's, there's, this is really a two-sided responsibility. Because I've been there, I now know that it's up to me. Nobody else can stop me from burning out except me. And yet, as an employer, we can really see the early warning signs of somebody who is headed towards burnout. And we can do things like you just suggested by recognizing both the effort as well as the outcome of what employees do, and we can make a difference. Well, and it's in the employer's best interest as well to to help prevent their workers from burning out, right? Because if you have a burnt-out workforce, you're not getting close to their best. Right. They, they may be working really long hours, and they may not be calling in sick, but the quality of their work is not going to be the same as it was when they had that energy, that motivation. So it's interesting because I've had conversations with bosses in the past, and I have no doubt I'm not alone, that when you express, you know, that feeling of, I don't know how I'm going to get this all done, uh, there's not going to be an answer from every employee or every boss that says, you know what, we'll get you an extra staff member or we'll get you a week off. Sometimes the message back to me is, and I'm not criticizing this, I just don't know how to, to, what to do with it. The message is sometimes, well, you need to take your foot off the gas or you need to find a way to balance what you're doing because, you know, we can only give you so much. What tricks do you have or tools that you have to fight, to, to, to fix this? And I don't know the answer to that sometimes. Ah, but see, you, you are, and I'm sorry to say this on live radio, Go but you are it. the perfect candidate for burnout. Great. Okay. I'm not <laughs> surprised. No, but, but it's, it's, it's putting the onus on, on the, the employee. Well, and, and that's the point. We have on our on Workplace Strategies for Mental Health, that's the website where all this free information is, we actually have a list of the lies I told myself when I was approaching burnout. And the lies were, I have to do this. Everybody's depending on me. I don't have any choice. I love my job. I want to do better. And in fact, many of us talked about loved ones reaching out to us saying, you're burning the candle at both ends. And we 
we would say things like, well, it's not my job, it's you nagging me that's really stressful. And we just listened to nobody because we were so intrinsically motivated to do more and do it better. And that's the point is that for individuals like yourself, there's nobody that can stop you except you. But the recovery is so long and so arduous that you really have to hear that it's up to you. You really have to hear that it's time for you to put things in perspective and to say to your boss, what's your priority for me? How are you going to measure my success? And then focus on those things, not the 200 other things that you think are great ideas, that you think would contribute to the greater good and to your work. But focus one thing at a time and make sure it's the things that your employer is going to measure. Well, Marianne, before we let you go here, I mean, uh, McNabb, you referenced that McNabb is a perfect candidate for burnout. And I can tell you as well, same here. I mean, I, I, I do feel burnt out. My brain is just fried. And uh, so as I head into the weekend, like I don't have vacation coming for a few weeks. So what should I do this weekend to give myself a break? So that's a great question. And the first thing I'll say is vacation and sleep and a weekend off is not going to do it. That this has to be something that you incorporate into the way you operate every day. So the first thing is to stop criticizing yourself. That when you think about what you're saying to yourself, that's not enough. That's not good enough. You're an idiot. You need to do this better. You have to stop that self-talk and change it to what would I say to a friend who's going through this. You also need to focus on one thing at a time in your personal life as well as in your work life and really focus on the quality of what you're doing. Are you really present with the person in front of you or with the task in front of you rather than thinking about everything else? And then the last thing that I'd say is you really need to start to focus on what's positive, what's good, what you're grateful for, because it retrains your brain from thinking about what do I need to do next? What else haven't I done? What else um, do I have to focus on? Start focusing on what's already positive and, and give yourself a break. Marianne Bainton, Director of Workplace Strategies for Mental Health at Canada Life and a registered social worker joining us live to talk about burnout and the growing impact on workplaces. Marianne, thank you very much for this. This was great. Okay, and hope the both of you take care of oh, your mental boy, health. Boy, Don't go there. Both Brett and I now are just looking at each other like, maybe we should just not show up Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, being off work won't help either, unfortunately. So take care of yourself. Start putting things in place that are going to make your quality of life better. Thank you so much, Marianne. Al Anderson is here. The headline, men have no friends and women bear the burden. Hal, what's going on with this? Well, uh, Dr. Cyrus, on my show this afternoon at 2.30, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is going to talk more about this. But the headline caught my attention. And um, I, I, I struggle. I have some very close male friends. But I struggle to keep my male friends. I don't think this article is necessarily about me, or maybe it's partly about me. I don't know. But they, in the article, they, they say there's a whole generation. It's called toxic masculinity. There's a whole generation of men 
that we're taught to be masculine and not have feelings. Females is a uh, fe- feelings is a female thing. Yep. And now they're struggling. And when they say women bear the burden, usually the wife is sort of the one in their life that acknowledges their feelings, mm-hmm. that uh, helps them with the stuff that they can't communicate with their male friends about because they come from that generation where they were told, "Don't boys don't cry and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's putting a burden or a pressure on, on, on the, the women in on, right on the, the partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think there's something to that, especially, you know, when you're talking, I don't know, my age and, and older or even a little younger than me, maybe. I'm, I just turned 55. I think that generation was told, you know, you're a boy, boys don't cry, you can't have feelings. And men, I think a lot of men are often saying, well, gee, I, I have nobody to share my feelings with when they, because they have feelings, obviously, they're a human, so they share them with their wife, and so the woman takes the burden of that in the relationship. So you have close friends, but you're not necessarily talking about personal feelings with them or any issues um, in your life? No, I, and that's why, as I read through the article, yeah. I thought, yeah, maybe there's a bit of me in here, but no, I, I'm, I'm probably, maybe that's why I don't have those relationships with other men because they don't want the relationship that I want. I want to be able to have those conversations. I want to be able to have those conversations. I am kind of a suck and I cry in a sad movie and I share my feelings way more than I probably should. (laughs) That's not being a suck. I think that's being healthy. You know, uh, but maybe that's why I struggle to have other men in my Mm. life because they are exactly what this article says. Or they want it, but they don't know how to deal with that. Right. Exactly. They just don't know how to express their emotions likely because they feel like it's a sign of weakness. If I express my feelings, and I'm a weak person and they just right. can't bring themselves to do it, to spit it out. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with my friends where I, I, I don't try to pry, but I, I try to let them know, hey, if you want to talk, I'm yeah. here. Because I know something's going on and I know they want to talk, but they just won't. They yeah. can't. But see, you're a lot like me. I listen to Brett and and I hear a lot of me in Brett and I think he hears a lot of himself in me because we aren't, if we've cried on the air sure. multiple times. We talked about his mom this right. morning. It was the and most it was touching. Heart- yes, yeah. absolutely. So it's not like you don't, you have that spot in you. I, I think the difference is, and I'm not sure what this is or how, like, how science would point it out, but you could go to a party and come home and have a conversation with... I was I got someone at that party and get more from them than say my husband might mm. over ten years and be like oh they told you that yeah. I'm like what kind of conversations are you having <laughs> mm-hmm. when you're out together yeah. that you didn't know this about them right, right? and it's yeah. it's an interesting difference between genders mm. for sure anyhow more on my show later two thirty with Dr Cyrus Hal Anderson afternoons one to four. McGarry and McNabb. Now, Mackling is in Slovenia. He's been in Slovenia. Well, he's in Slovenia now. He was in Croatia, and uh, he's having an adventure. We've been jealous. But we've we're been very tell jealous. You, we want to tell you about a different kind of adventure. We've told you about it for a couple of years now, and was so excited when I heard that these guests were coming back in. We have in studio with us Shirley and Daryl Peters, Dashir Lodge and Safaris, and along with them, Jeremia Molal. Safari driver. There are a couple of info sessions coming up next week that we want to tell you about. But Lorraine, I've been excited for you as well because Shirley and Daryl's story is so great. So first of all, good morning to you guys. Welcome back. Good morning, morning, Jumbo. So you are Winnipeggers, Manitobans, now living in Africa. Yep. Where you have built yourself a little piece of paradise. So why don't you tell Lorraine and tell our listeners how... How this happened. Well, it's uh, it's quite a story. Uh, for me, it came uh, after the fact. For Shirley, it was in the, right from the get-go when she was a young kid. And uh, for us, it's part of the prenups. 
We say that uh, when we met at Robin's Donuts, we're Winnipeggers, grew up in Winnipeg. Shirley's from Winkler, I'm from Winnipeg. And we met at Robin's Donuts one night when we were in college together, in Bible college, and we talked about our relationship. And Shirley said, if you take me to Africa, then we can possibly get married. If not, we'll just be good friends. And you had already been? <laughs> I had uh, or, I already been? No, not at that point. It was like, point. I just want to go. Yep, I've known since I was 12. That's yeah. quite the uh, proposal. So every so man that met me and yeah. maybe liked me, I said, do you want to go to Africa? And they'd say, no. Do you want to go to India? No. What do you want to do? I don't know. And I said, I for sure don't want you. I was very focused, very driven. Africa's in the cards. Okay, why? I don't know. I think when I was 12, I heard someone speak in our church and gray had people like me then, and nobody went with me. And I came home at 12 years old and said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to Africa someday. And I was that focused. There's a big difference between saying I want to go on a trip yep. to saying, and then when I get there, I'm going to open up a lodge and you know have tours and all that kind of thing. So how many years did it take before you went from the trip to a business? We, we spent a, a bit of time in Canada because our first son was born ill. But 14 years later, we moved to Africa and uh, went to Botswana for three years. I was teaching there and Shirley was in the prison. We say she was in the prison, but she was teaching in the prison, not <laughs> really in the prison. And then after that, we our kids finished high school here. And then we decided to go back to Africa through some friends through a leaky roof that we met in Tanzania. And within a year, we bought land, uh, eight acres of land. It's now 30 acres. And uh, th- this part is not necessarily Shirley's. Living in Africa was Shirley's, but for me to do this whole project and to build there and to do the community work and everything. So we have a beautiful lodge on 30 acres of land. Uh, we've been there nine years right now. We're loving it. It's not always easy, but it's an amazing adventure. And we have a piece of uh, Africa that people can experience and come to our home. Yeah, so the info sessions are coming up Monday, Tuesday, 7.30 p.m., Canadian's Destination Centre, Transcona at 826 Regent. The website, by the way, if you want to follow along for more information, is dashirlodgeandsafaris.com. And surely, as I look at the just the spectacular pictures on this, and there's a wonderful video, uh, this, the, the reviews are just glowing. So when people from Manitoba or anywhere, because you guys tour the country, yep. right, to, to, to get to recruit people to come, so when Canadians visit your home, what do they say to you? When they visit our home, many people, you think they do the Mexico trip for one week at a time. Our place, they come, people have come one, two, three times now in a row. Because when you meet Jeremiah and the rest of, they're our family. Their business is second. They're our family first. When they come and meet our family, we have a corner by our sign. Some of our BC friends call it the kiss and cry corner. Mm -hmm. Because people cry when they leave because they don't want to leave. It is a spectacular place. We have an amazing family. And like I say, you look at our TripAdvisor reviews or you talk to any of our guests, like this is our city we're home for our city i'm pretty <laughs> excited being in winnipeg pretty pumped coming to see our kids and the people here who love us over 100 people have come they drive from upstate new york from different places in the states just to come and hug us at the pre meet and greet at our sessions mm-hmm. so we had about 100 people already who've come all across canada winnipeg will probably be our biggest we're expecting 150 to 200 people each night this is our city, this is our people, and we know how to make people feel at home in Africa. Well, let's talk to Jeremy about the tours that you do in the dri- so you're a safari, safari driver. You're yes, the guy sir. that's going through the bush, so to speak. Yep. Okay, and do you also tell people what they're looking at, or is it more just you're, you're there to guide them through? Uh, yes, always I brief you about uh, what you look, and uh, always we visit all these three parks, like Tarangire, Gorongoro, Serengeti. It depends on what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I said I want to see elephants, elephants, you know where to find them? I know where to find and where to go. 
Wow. That's my job, yeah. And how long have you been with Dashir? Uh, for four years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does mm-hmm. that mean you must, you, did you grow up there as well and have a, even an animal tracking background or you just know the bush really well? Or what's your, what's your sort of experience with just understanding animals and what we, what we might see when we go? You have to go to college for that, to learn all about this wildlife and their behavior and all the parks and the roots. So you have to be there first, then later you get experience. Then you have to look for a job. And then know the snakes too. I just yeah. want to ask about the snakes Everything. quickly. Yes, <laughs> there's always snakes somewhere. So I yeah. like to just make sure everybody knows about their snake knowledge. Do you have to carry weapons? <laughs> no, no, we are not allowed to carry any weapon because uh, every park has rules. You stay on the roads, not off roads. And all the animals are wild, but uh, they don't. We'll be in a vehicle, Land Cruiser four wheel drive. And we pop the roof up, so we'll be all standing, taking photos around. So it's very safe. It's not like you can walk around. Otherwise, if I'm in a place that I can let you out, maybe washroom or picnic site. So, yeah, it's like that. I uh, have had the good fortune of going to Zimbabwe, at least, uh, in Africa. And I always say to people that, and it sounds cliche, but there's something, I've been a lot of places in this world, and there's something about the countries I've visited in Africa that uh, really get into your heart. And you, they talk about a beat, like a beat that yeah. you feel when you're yeah. a rhythm, and it, it really is—it's inexplicable. But then once once you've felt it, I can see why people come back because surely they, they're just it. They they want more. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always say that people here are living a little bit for tomorrow, but people in Africa are living for the day in the moment, and it's uh, it's it's a passion, it's a depth of the spirit, and it, we also have something called pole pole which is a big African thing. When you climb Mount Kilimanjaro, we do Kilimanjaro climbs as well. When you climb Mount Kilimanjaro, you always say pole pole, slowly, slowly. And that's a big heartbeat in Africa. Things are slowly, and when you move slowly, you have time for people, you have time to do things together, and people can join together. So we're big about that, and we, we also do that in our community, doing community development and other things. Pole pole, trying to be with people, live with people, feel with people. There's something beautiful about that. It's a trip that someone will never forget, but perhaps it's a more of a mantra you can take back when they come back to Absolutely. Canada about how to, how to be a little bit better. That's what, that's what is almost like the beat or the thing that goes into your heart sometimes. You say it's a little piece of life that Africa can contribute to the West and help us out and slow us down and to realize that life is about people and relationships. And we, we've done 144 safaris so far and... You won't even see the tree way, way out there, but Jeremy and our drivers, they will see the leopard in the tree because they mm. see the tail move. They're trained. They'll, you can ask them any questions. They got it. We got a wonderful, wonderful family and team. We're talking to Daryl and Shirley Peters from Deshire Lodge and Safaris, along with Jeremia Molel. The website is deshirelodgeandsafaris.com. So if I decide like when if someone says to you well i kind of want to go but i don't know it sounds kind of scary or too expensive so how do you reel them in well the first thing is that it's a very safe place um when you when you think about going to africa you hear a lot of bad things and you look at the trap trip the travel advisories you say oh there's this problem here in the border but that's that's really far removed from us uh, there's a million tourists in Tanzania, in Tanzania every year. Nary a problem. We're in safe places. You're on safari. We say it's way safer than going to Mexico, actually, mm. uh, in terms of uh, the numbers and the statistics. And so, and the other thing is, we are there. We walk with people. 
Uh, I personally plan from start to finish when you're in Tanzania. I'm with people wherever they go, and Shirley is hosting at the home, giving great home-cooked f- food and everything. And it's it's something that everyone should experience, uh, 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 not just the safari, but the culture. And getting that experience in Africa is a wonderful way to see life in a very different way. And many people come with their books. Former guests come and they'll sit at our sessions across Canada and you'll be sitting beside them and they don't know you and they show you. Some people book. Many people know when they come to our sessions that they want to go to Africa. To be honest, they're coming to check us out. It is expensive, but we are not because we don't have an agent. We don't have a travel agent. We have no middleman so we can keep the costs low. And we care about connecting with our guests. Daryl's planning trips a year in advance. and We want to get you in the best park. So we plan with you for a long time. You meet our guests who've been there. They're our most powerful testimony when they stand up and they talk, right? Well, that's what I'm seeing on your website. There's different excursions. So it's not just one It's not just one choice. You can go to Zanzibar. You can do Kilimanjaro. You can do all sorts of things, yep. right? What's, Jeremy, what's the number one question you get from Canadians, like in terms of the animal they want to see? Always, uh, most people, are. I can say, they, they want to see the big five, mm-hmm. like the most. So elephant, lion, Giraffe. Leopard. Le- not giraffe. Not giraffe. Leopard. Leopard. Rhino. 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 Yes. Hippo. No. Uh, I'm stumped. <laughs> what are, so, the reason for them to be called is, uh, the, is, the fifth is like an elephant, leopard. leopard, lion, buffalo, and rhino. And you've got all those, and you've got all five of those are on these, you can see these yes. on these trips? Yes, but we have to find them because it's not like a zoo, you can drive and right. go and see them. So that's make it more interesting because we drive around for hours, try to find them. And once we find it, everybody is excited to oh, see. The heart, feel, your yes, heart, heart like, must yeah, race yeah, when yeah, you yeah, finally yes. see it, right? You'll yes. see more than it's, it's 35 fun, yeah. lines. People lose track of the lines they see. Wow. Yes. And I it, think you need to make this a big six. I love giraffes. But that's <laughs> no, you will see plenty. Yeah, that's a favorite. Plenty. It's a favorite. Well, for yeah, sure. I mean, and, and then so you can go on this wild adventure on the safari, but then looking at the pictures of the accommodations, they look as luxurious as uh, you anything won't I've ever seen. Yeah, ensuite bathrooms everywhere. We have something called the luxury safari tent as well when you go on safari for that out of Africa experience. So you're close to the animals, you hear them, you can hear the lions roaring, you can I heal guess. animals ruffling in the background and stuff like that, but you're very safe. How you, close is Jeremy to me in the app so I can just shout out in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> Daria! <laughs> I don't think that's a giraffe! <laughs> yeah, he, he, he can do whatever's needed. He's a great host, and our drivers are great hosts as well. You're very safe. There's walkie-talkies in the, in the, in the luxury safari tents, um, and there's Maasai guards who are walking the strip and keeping an eye, and there's always a fire close by. Hey, so, there's bears when you camp here, right? There's yeah. all sorts of animals everywhere. <laughs> we just built six new rooms, so now we have 11 rooms, and... Uh, at the end of our last busy season, we're full up. So, I mean, we're starting to fill up big in January, February. You know Winnipeg, how cold it is. So January and February already is starting to fill that's, up at our place. That's your busy season, January, February? The busiest in September, October. Oh, September. But there's also great animal viewing all year long. There's no best time to see it. There's just different things happening at different times. And, of course, there's a great migration in the Serengeti. So the dry season from July to October, when you can see the river crossings, and then from December to March, they're getting ready to have babies. Which in, are you talking about wildebeest? Is yeah, that the, the wildebeest, yeah. 2 million wildebeest, 500,000 zebra and antelope. And you yeah. can see all of this stuff? You can see a lot, not all of them at one time, but you can see masses and herds. Oh, what you man. see depends on the season and the rains, but you'll see, you all, it's not like fishing. 
Well, it's I mentioned <laughs> it earlier. A lot. I mentioned it earlier. It's a little pocket of paradise in Africa, and it's not an exaggeration. I started the day googling how to get to Croatia because that's where Greg is. But I'm now on your website, seeing how <laughs> how, how quickly I can get to Tanzania in November. So amazing. Dashirlodgeinsafaris.com is the website. The info sessions are happening this Monday and Tuesday, 7:30 p.m. Canadians Destination Center, Transcona, 826 Regent, Daryl and Shirley Peters as well as Jeremy Molel, who is a safari driver. Thank you so much for the visit. You guys always, it's you, the the enthusiasm and passion you have for this is inspiring. And it, I, it is, um, you keep asking me, when am I coming? Yeah, this is coming? it. I'm waiting my, to welcome it's you with open arms and hearts. It's my gosh, my I'm, I'm halfway booked right now. So. Good. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. 911.